Hey guys, welcome to Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. This is episode 69, and I am your host, Ed Moore. Feedback can be sent to usagipodcast at gmail.com, comments left on the website, bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit, or on the Ronin Rabbit Google Plus page, or on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page. As far as comments, of course, you can't send email to any of those. The story comes from, for this episode, Usagi Ojimbo Volume 2, Issue 13, the April 1995 issue. Two stories, the main story in this, the first one I want to talk about, is entitled Runaways, Part 1. The main character in this, as always, Miyamoto Usagi. However, we have the appearance of some old friends from way back. We have reference to Lord Mifune and Usagi's fellow retainer under Mifune, Genoichi, Usagi's number one girl and best friend from back home, Mariko and Kenichi, and for this particular story, Tikani Kanuko, who becomes Tikani Hirano. Then in the backup story, we continue to follow the story, the recent story of Jay, Jai, how do you pronounce it? And the introduction of a character that will prove uh, a substantial part of the demon's story mythos, uh, Keiko. However, our first story sees Usagi. Very dynamic cover, uh, first of all, very dynamic. Usagi is on horseback with a female uh, trying to maintain purchase on the horse. The horse is running full out, as you can tell, because none of the hooves are on the ground. And there is a rain of arrows, R-A-I-N, rain of arrows falling down, and Usagi is trying to clear a path with his sword. Very dynamic. Story Runaway opens with uh, Usagi and Genosuke still journeying together somewhat. They stop under, I don't know, some kind of fruit tree. Maybe it's an apple tree. I don't think it's apples. It has some kind of fruits on it, but it has no leaves on it. Uh, And as they're talking, Gen is messing around trying to find one of the fruits, and in plying one loose so that he can get it, he causes a bunch of others to tumble and and hit Usagi on the head. Uh, The the main thing in my mind, the reason I point this out, is as I said a couple episodes back, Stan Sakai always tries to use humor somewhere in each of his stories. This is one of these places in this particular story, as things are going to get a lot more tense here later on in the story. So we we start out with uh, some simple, um, everyday life kind of things. These two, uh, arguably pals, traveling together, getting ready to split up and go their separate ways, saying their goodbyes, but they're saying their goodbyes in this macho, I won't really miss you, yes I will, kind of way, I'm glad we are parting, no I'm not, kind of way, you know, both of these guys, when uh, f- when seen by each other, have to put on a face, inside, it, it's quite different, and particularly, uh, Genosuke, it, that's really arguable, except for a very, very major storyline that occurred during the first Fanta, the first volume uh, from Fantagraphics. We really see Genosuke's feelings for Usagi there. Usagi has pretty much been the same 
on-again, off-again kind of thing. Uh, he's glad to not have to interact with Genosuke. He hesitates when he interacts with Genosuke, but every time he does, whatever he has to do to keep his quote-unquote friend safe, Usagi does willingly and without hesitation. Uh, so uh, that never changes for Usagi. Gen, he is much more uh, congenial to Usagi inside than he ever expresses outside. So he, he pretty much stays the same there, too. Later on, and here <laughs> here is some more humor. Later on, Usagi is at a village, uh, and he's ordering some broiled cuttlefish heavy on the tentacles. Uh, tentacles must be his favorite part. And we see on, on the little... Uh, um, yeah, the little... What are these little things called where vendors are? Booth. There we go. Uh, A picture of a cuttlefish. I guess that way you know what what they have to offer. But the funny part is off here to the side is a very large gentleman with his very large finger stuck in his very large nose going to town. So Usagi gets his order, and we see the cuttlefish is cuttlefish on a stick. Now, I've had steak on a stick very recently, actually. I've never had cuttlefish on a stick. Although I probably wouldn't, because I don't, I don't think I'm really a fan of cuttlefish. I've had octopus, I've had squid. If cuttlefish is like those, I, I think I'm pretty much not a fan. But uh, cuttlefish on a stick. He pays, and as he's paying, there is a herald announcing someone important coming through. Make way, make way, and and so everybody is starting, you know, to move aside the, the town commons the street here where they are is very full of people so it's taking a little bit to to part the waves of people usagi decides well i i better you know while i'm eating my cuttlefish just go ahead and move off to the side here so i don't get caught up in the throngs parting to let the pharaoh pass well no that's a different illusion to let this important person pass through and then as he's eating the herald yells out make way move aside for lady hirano and usagi's taken aback. Uh, Mid-munch here, we see that he's already taken a bite of his cuttlefish on a stick. And then he thinks, Hirano, I haven't heard that name in years. And we get the kind of, you know, uh, remembering of of Usagi. And we go all the way back to when he was a retainer for Lord Mafuni. He is approached by his friend Gunichi, uh, who gives Usagi a hard time for penning a letter to his girlfriend, which in this case would be Monaco, still. Uh, Gunichi is bringing mail to Usagi. Usagi opens it, reads it, and is immediately saddened. Um, it, it's interesting, the expressions on his face. Uh, there's uh, four panels here. The one panel is large-eyed Usagi with small pupils when he reminisces about the name Hirano. Then several panels, as he's remembering back, his eyes are just little dots. And then he reads the letter and is saddened, and the eyes become the large, full pupil, very sad puppy dog eyes. All Usagi experiences all these emotions in just four panels here. And from the letter, he reads that Marako and Kenichi have finally married. And so that means the end of any romance that Usagi felt for Mariko uh, because of his sense of honor. Of course, we know there are people who would not be stopped by that. But being an honorable 
samurai honor being so high on his list of important issues, Usagi realizes he he's lost. You know, he's lost the love of his life. She has gone to someone else. And, and so he immediately jumps up and, and is going to get his swords and his pack. And he's going to go rescue this woman who should be with him, not with Kenichi, who at this point is still one of Usagi's best friends. So rather than being happy for his best friend, he is hurt because he has been smitten with Mariko. But she has chosen, apparently, to be with another man. Uh, seeing as that Usagi's not even in the picture. You know, he's he's doing stuff for Lord Mifune, who knows where. But Mariko and Kenichi are still in the village together. So she is, rather than holding out for the man she does not know, per se, she decides to jump the broom with the... And yeah, there I go, mixing cultures again. Uh, jump the broom with the man that she does know. Better what you do know than what you don't know kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, Genichi is trying to persuade Usagi to not go off the deep end, first of all, and, and there's some back and forth, uh, several panels between them, and then finally, Genichi says, well, I, I tell you what, here, look. Uh, the Princess Takani Kinoko is betrothed to Lord Hirano, and Lord Mafuni is in favor of this union, and so has assigned an escort to escort Princess Kinoku into Harano territory, her her trip to her husband's place to be married. And Genichi has been put in charge of that um, escort. He tells Usagi, I tell you what, I'll stay here. You take lead on this escort. It'll get you out of the castle. It'll get you out of all this stuff. It'll get you some action. You know, maybe, maybe what you need is just a little, a little doing something rather than sitting around in your own head all day long. So, Usagi agrees, and we have uh, next yet another um, uh, two-page spread where we see the procession that Usagi is leading. It is very long. And we have one of those carriages uh, that is being supported by men, by twin pillars, uh, uh, poles rather, in the front and back with the carriage in between hauling the important person. And and that's where the princess is. So Usagi, uh, as the lead, tries to say something to the princess about the situation. You know, hope you're comfortable and and everything is to your liking we will be there shortly and his response is just the slamming of the window that opens and closes no direct response from the princess and usagi is uh taken aback by the brusqueness which is interesting because those of power at this time are often portrayed this way in dealing with anyone not of royalty. So if this is the first time Usagi has encountered this type of behavior from this level of personage, I would be very surprised. But he is very much acting like this is his first encounter with this. So I I find that a little hard to believe. Suddenly they're attacked. Here we see the rain of arrows that we saw on the cover as it just takes out, you know, dozens of the entourage in one stroke and then from the forest and actually from completely around them on all sides a huge contingent of ninja attack 
this royal procession and start taking out people right and left. We see Usagi fighting people off, killing them right and left. The ninja get to the cab that the princess is in, uh, forcibly extract her, but quickly fall to Usagi's sword. He's on his horse still, and as he's riding through the throng, he reaches out, grabs her by the back of her robes, hoists her up onto the horse in front of him, tells the princess to hold on, and rides off into the woods. Now, that scene would have been where the cover scene took place in the midst of all that. As they're riding off, the horse takes hit after hit after hit from arrows until it just cannot take any more, and it it stumbles and falls. Um, It dies, but of course I was about to say, bear in mind that during the filming of this, no actual horses were injured, but we, we see the horse skull here, so this horse died. Sorry. The princess... Um, is exclaiming, stop, you're hurting me, as Usagi's trying to grab her up by the wrist to keep her motivated to get the heck out. And he says, get up or die. From this point on, the interactions for quite a while between Usagi and the princess are very difficult for both of them (laughs) for different reasons. The princess is absolutely not used to, not a fan of, the brusque treatment that Usagi is giving her both physically and verbally. Usagi's only concern is keeping her alive. He is not in the remotest concerned about her comfort or her likings or her desires. Because, of course, if she's dead, none of that will matter. So, but Plus, it's his job. He has to keep her alive and get who... Get who? Yes. Get her to Fortress Hirano. So they're going through the woods, and he's dragging her and picking her up, and she's being cut and scratched, (coughs) excuse me, and just treated roughly, well beyond anything that she's used to. Uh, Finally, they hide behind a tree, and Usagi grabs her up as she's panting, trying to talk and everything, and covers her mouth to keep her quiet as a small contingent of the ninja pass by looking for them. So they pass on by, and I... this, This is interesting. They pass on by, and finally Usagi, you know, takes his hand off and says... They're gone. It should be safe enough now. And the princess screams. Now, I know that those ninja would have to be really far away to have not heard that scream. So they must have heard it. But it never turns around that way. So, you know, I'm, I'm surprised Usagi didn't take the pommel of his sword and knock her out and say that somebody snuck by and conked her before he could get him or something like that because letting this person scream in this situation is just absolutely ridiculous she could get them both killed easily Uh, fortunately she doesn't or actually it would be the end of the comic book for us wouldn't it if usagi died so Uh, and so here we finally have her put to to voice the issues she's having get your filthy hands off of me you you she says Usagi tells her his name and says, is this the thanks I get for saving your life? And she goes on, thanks, I have never been so abused in my life. Look at me, I'm covered with bruises and scratches. I swear I'll have your head in payment for my mistreatment. Uh, Usagi says, fair enough, but it'll have to wait. My first duty is to deliver you to Lord Hirano safely. She says, you can't talk to me like that. He says, come on. 
and that that's the interaction for a while now between them as they're going um she's standing here thing and and you know you could almost see her stomping her foot uh and usagi walks off doing what he's supposed to do and she realizes that and runs to catch up with him yelling wait for me you know as as she is <laughs> perhaps starting to come around a little bit to the seriousness of her situation so they've been walking and walking, and uh, they're both tired. And just to try to pass the time, Usagi starts talking to her like he would a normal person. And she says, well, you know, I, I don't have to tell you anything. Who are you to even be asking me questions? And he says, well, I figure since I'm going to die anyways, I might as well die knowing something. Yeah, it kind of works. She she loosens up. She tells Usagi about the uh, betrothal and and the way she says it. He says, oh, because he asked her what she thought. Basically, she gives him back the party line, okay? And he's like, oh, just as I would expect an official to answer. But you didn't answer my question. And he poses it again. What do you think? Well, uh, we don't really get to that because we cut two our woodcutters, the husband and wife that Mr. Sakai uses frequently, but we haven't seen in a little while, here they're actually at home. And they hear something from inside their hut. They're inside the hut. They hear something outside. Look outside and they say, some thief stole our clothes from our poles, I guess where they had them drying overnight. And uh, the husband says, and our garden's been raided. So then we cut to... Uh, Tikani and Usagi as they are wearing the peasant's clothes and she is complaining about the quality of the peasant's clothes. He gives her some food, which is the vegetables he took for the garden. She complains about the taste of the vegetables. Uh, And in both cases, you know, of course, Usagi's response is, we'll just be glad, you know, etc., etc. She's complaining about a fire. He says, we can't use a fire because it'll give us away why are you so mean she says and Usagi's like hang on I thought I heard something and at that instant five ninjas jump out of the forest and attack them Uh, Usagi dispatches one two three four and just as he gets to the fifth the fifth backs off and they they have a little conversation Usagi and the and the ninja the ninja is not going to give over any information and decides actually rather than fighting Usagi and dying like his buddies did, he needs to stay alive so he can get back to the main force and tell them where Usagi is. So he does the exploding gunpowder ball on the ground cloud ninja trick and runs away. He's running through the forest and runs into wherever Usagi is. So Usagi circled around and followed him or somehow attacks him. As Usagi is out over there somewhere, dispatching the last ninja... Takani is here with the forest and uh, Tokagi lizards, and she keeps hearing things as she's wandering around trying to find Usagi calling for him. She hears this stuff and that stuff, and she's scared by the normal sounds and the sounds that Usagi is making in his struggle and everything, until finally it's just too much for her to take, and she runs in one particular direction screaming. Fortunately, it's the direction that Usagi is in, and she runs up on Usagi and throws himself, throws herself at him, saying... Oh, I was so afraid. Oh, I've never been so scared in my life. And then she finally admits, I blamed you for delivering me into a loveless marriage. But what would you know about love? I, And as they're facing each other, it looks like they're about to kiss. Usagi's reminiscing stops 
because he now has found himself in the midst of being in the way of this procession as the villagers are calling out to him he needs to move. So he finally does step aside and allows the actual procession to uh, proceed in front of him. Before he can really see anything, we cut to the backup story, entitled Black Soul. The first four panels on this page are really, really cool. Beautiful art by Mr. Sakai. Clouds being driven by the wind in the first panel. Raindrops uh, puddling, pooling out, uh, causing reverberations in standing water as they're falling on a body of water, a pond or something like that. More wind-driven clouds, only this time with trees and leaves being blown. We back up even farther and see wind-blown clouds backdropped over mountains with a forest lower down and then in the bottom part of the panel, a small hut. Then we move inside the hut and we are introduced to Keiko, who drops our only word for us that Mr. Sakai uh, defines, and it is Oji-san, which is meant to be grandfather. So Keiko and her grandfather are here eating dinner and just doing normal, you know, peasanty kind of, of life here at night. When there's a, a knock on the door, the grandfather, immediately being the kind soul that he is, tells the people, whoever's knocking, to come in, and we see that it's three rather tough-looking dudes. Uh, You can assume by their manner that they're probably bandits, brigands, something like that, looking for a place to stay. The grandfather, being congenial, uh, we're poor farmers, but we can offer, and the leader jumps up and says, you don't have to offer anything, we take whatever we want. And so that is the Uh, basically the scene back and forth for several panels between these three and the grandfather until finally the three have finished eating the three brigands and they ask for more and the grandfather says there is no more you've eaten all we had we were going to town for supplies tomorrow the leader uh, accuses the grandfather of lying saying that he's holding out he uh, attacks him and as as he's cowering here saying, you know, please, we don't have any more. There is nothing more for you to to get. The brigand finally kills the grandfather. And then his two men say, well, you know, that was probably a bad idea because he was the only one that knows where they've hidden the rest of their stuff. And then they turn to Keiko and say, ah, but perhaps she knows. And they start to menace her when the door apparently was still open because somebody says in this funky kind of voice the stench of evil is heavy here and the three brigands turn their attention to the door and there we see jai who says the gods have drawn me to the scene of malfeasance they attack it him her demon uh they are quickly dispatched in very violent ways uh we we have one image here of the inside of the hut the grandfather is off to the side here where he was killed. The three brigands died all very bloodily. Uh, the one is laying here grasping his throat with blood pooled around him. The other is sitting here with his head, neck at a very odd angle. And the third is hanging from ropes in the ceiling, dripping blood that is pooling on the floor. So very, very violent culmination to this attack. 
Jai, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know how it's pronounced. I need to look that up because this character will be around for a while. Uh, finds a spear and says, ah, a new blade to consecrate to the gods. And he concentrates on it and it gets this evil, magical, hissing kind of sound. And now he turns to Keiko and says, no, the gods see no evil in you, little one. Get out before you perish in the flames, girl. As he leaves, the hut's on fire. And as the hut burns, Keiko stands and watches it burn as Jay is walking, you know, farther and farther away, just leaving the scene. So finally, Keiko realizes her mother and father have died. Her grandfather has just died. She has no one else, but there is this individual who did just save her. So she runs after Jay and uh, presumably will become a, a... companion of the demons from here on out a little bit of feedback that i do want to get to here we have an email from darren and ruth sutherland says hi ed another great episode with ronan rabbit episode 60 i particularly enjoyed following along with the issue and remember reading that story long ago it's interesting that there are two words for the number four in Japanese, yon and she, and she sounds like the word death in Japanese. Uh, for all of that, as, as I talked about it, you, you guys could go back and listen to episode 60. A very appropriate plot point for the issue. By the way, thanks sincerely for the Trekker Talk shout-out in episode 59. Keep up the great work, Darren. Now, uh, Darren mentioned the Trekker Talk podcast. It is a podcast that he and his wife, Ruth, do, where they, each month, talk about the adventures of Mercy St. Clair, who is the creation of Ron Randall. Since then, they have also started a second podcast named Warlord Worlds, where they talk about the different things that Mike Grell has had a hand in creating, both drawing, writing, and both. So both of those shows I would very highly recommend. Darren and Ruth do killer jobs on both of those. Again, that's Trekker Talk and Warlord Worlds. Just Google those and you should be able to find the podcast no problem. Each of those is a monthly podcast. There's not very many episodes out right now uh, to make it difficult for anybody to catch up with the Sutherlands in their podcasting journey. Again, highly, highly recommend that uh, that family of podcasts. All right, guys. Um, Oji-san, uh, grandfather. That's the only term, really, from this episode. Next time out will be Usagi Ojimbo Volume 2, Issue 14. Cover date of June 1995. That will be my fodder for next time out. Thanks again, guys. Talk to you next. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.